Lord. This is In Defense of Humanity with Osteries, Oz Miller. We actually are continuing the last episode. We started extremely quickly right after finishing that, and we were not recording, so we're now in it, and we're more pumped than ever. I'm still joined by Nate Sermons. Hello. And I'm joined by Christian Dasher. Nate Sermons, speak your piece. Yes. I have something to plug real quick, and I'll be as fast as possible. So we have a single and a B-side coming out. Mm. It is called Sleight of Hand, and the B-side is called Disillusion. Excellent. And it'll be coming out on April Fool's Day. It's not a joke. Mm. It's really coming out. That's nice. And um, if you are in the Athens and Atlanta area on this Friday, May 29th. Okay. Come down to East Arcanum Studio, and that's all I gotta say. That's in Athens. Yes. Uh, no, it's in Atlanta. It's in Atlanta. Okay. And and okay. if you if you do want to stay updated on show dates, you can follow the band on Instagram okay. at underscore dot underscore open <laughs> underscore dot underscore because open was already taken. Yo. Okay, we will definitely leave that in the description below <laughs> to stay updated. If we get enough people, we'll sign a petition to get the real name. Okay, indeed. Okay. So we were talking about uh, F major. Yeah, we were talking about we we're talking about jazz music. And then uh so we mentioned uh, all of these artists, Miles Davis, and then we started talking about, the, like we talked about before in the last podcast, which for us was just like a few minutes ago, but <laughs> in the last podcast, we spoke about the pain that one feels yes. deep within their vessel, and you can feel it, but you can't identify it, mm -hmm. and then it's so hard to encompass over the, the 12 notes, the 12 standard notes that yes. we have in Western yeah. music, and then we have like Louis Armstrong, What a Wonderful World, mm -hmm. where it's, his voice. it's satirical yeah. because he's saying the, the, the world is so wonderful, right? So that's the overtone, mm -hmm. but the, the, the undertone of his voice. Mm -hmm. It's somber. Is, it, it is. Mm -hmm. you, can, you can hear the pain. And we have people that imitate him, but like the others, you can't imitate yeah. the pain. Because you you, it's not your story to you, tell. You don't know you segregation. Know. You yeah. don't know that for everyone who who's listening to the, the only people allowed in the music hall where you're performing who are white, they know the world is wonderful. Mm -hmm. But whenever black people, right, mm -hmm. the, the people that he identifies as his own mm -hmm. brethren hear it, they can hear the pain in his voice and they know it's set to, well, even though they may not have the words to describe it. He, uh, Louis Armstrong was the first black musician to be considered to make it with the hegemony. He was accepted mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. in with them. And with that, it was a double-edged sword. On the one hand, he's a pioneer mm -hmm. for uh, civil rights. But within his own community, mm -hmm. he was ostracized. Because how dare you? Mm -hmm. How dare you be okay with this? Yeah. How dare you go along with what they're asking you to do? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And but then it's self-evident in that song, you know? Yeah. Yeah, it's like, it's like I have this... I have what I have to sing in order to pay the bills like yeah. we talked about in the yeah. last. But uh, even though I'm doing this, right, with like spirituals, mm -hmm. uh, uh, spirituals from African slaves, right? We had a group perform. Um, the Priceless Singers. Yeah, the, indeed. We had a group perform uh, this week at our university where, where the songs may seem happy. They do the dance, mm -hmm. the Jim Crow dance to appease the hegemony. 
but you can if you listen to the lyrics and how the 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 pattern of the lyrics and then the beat the beat is of a funeral dirge of old african of old uh, like wolof traditions it's wow. a it's a funeral march so to speak that you play you know a, a music video that has a lot of that is mm. um this is america i remember yes. everyone was raving about that yeah. when it came out yeah. and the imagery in that music video is indeed i had mentioned in the last episode about gary clark jr i feel like gary clark jr's this land and childish gambino's this is america the imagery all of what we were just talking about mm. being displayed in art can be seen so well in those mm -hmm. two music mm -hmm. videos yeah and then we we let's talk about so we have these 12 notes that can't even encompass right mm -hmm. so whenever we listen to it we can't describe with western music theory we can't yeah. describe yeah. why we can feel this and and it's not very you can't use a logic to say mm -hmm. i feel because i feel like that's literally that's that's a, a self-fulfilling prophecy you it doesn't work it's 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 equivocation take just that using, to your philosophy class you're, you're just using uh different words that are synonyms to describe how you feel i feel this way because i hear it and that makes me it's like yo yo you're not describing anything but even whenever we jump to punjab music and punjabi with the cathartic uh notes with multiple notes we have mm -hmm. sitar like you can't even describe that feeling with nearly a, a mm -hmm. dozen more notes and, on the scales and we were talking about microtones yeah and we were saying being yeah. from and being brought up in such western music i have trouble really to me i don't hear 24 notes mm -hmm. i hear 12 notes mm -hmm. and then 12 out of tune notes. 12 really yeah. out of tune <laughs> yeah. notes yeah. in my in my like Whenever I hear it, my gut reaction is just tune it, just tune it, tune it, tune it, tune it. And that is wrong. Yes. No. Yeah. It's, it's, um, I remember the first time I was ever exposed to microtonal music. There was a band out of, um, and these guys are crazy. They were from Australia. Okay. And they're called, okay, you ready for this? This is the full name of the band. King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizards. Mm. Seven band members, two drummers. The rest of them play guitars and one bass player. They spent a season in the Middle East and in um, you know Punjab area mm. studying microtonal music. They were doing a fling um, for the year. It was the last semester of my freshman year. So 2018, mm -hmm. I think it was either 2018 or 2017. They did this thing where they said, we're going to release five albums in a year and cool. they're completely, they're completely independent. So they are allowed to do that. You know, they have no one to argue against. Yeah. So this season that they took off, they were like, okay, what are we going to do our next album about, you know, and they listen to all that music. They had a subreddit they had a Redditor on that subreddit. And they sent in all of their guitars and the guy put microtonal frets in the guitars and he sent them back and they released an album called the flying microtonal banana. And mm. that whole thing, like you were saying, the mm. gut instinct, it's like the entirety of the album. And I mm. loved mm. it so much. I bought it on CD. Yeah. And I had it in my Jeep and I listened to it over and over and over again. And it's become easier to identify those microtones after listening to that 
uh, record. And yeah, I mean, they were crazy for doing that. Um, and they have a lot of songs on there. One specifically, um, they talk about outlaws mm. and the microtones allow for this feeling of, uh, discourse. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. When you're yeah. talking about outlaws and it's just great, you mm -hmm. know, cause they, they understood how to use them, you know, mm. as opposed to just 12, you know, they were like, okay, well, let's use this to write about something that's kind of crazy and mm -hmm. it sounds crazy. So it's crazy, you know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Wow. So since we're already in Oceana, mm -hmm. let's talk about, uh, we'll see. So we have Tosh Sultana, who's a modern artist who mm -hmm. some might say is reggaeton. She's from Australia. So she plays something similar to reggae mixed with, and then she has loops. So she loops them in. And then she adds on occasion, like indigenous Aboriginal instruments, like the wall pity have the didgeridoo. Mm -hmm. So she'll add sounds yeah. like this, which, which don't tune. And, and cause you have to play it with vibrato, mm -hmm. like a, uh, and you have to constantly breathe yeah. mm -hmm. like, like a, yeah, you have to do circular breathing. Yeah. You, it's like a, um, like a trombone. So you have mm -hmm. no choice, but to vibrate your lips, but, also your 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 larynx mm. you, you your voice box you have to do it and then of course whenever you see uh euro australians uh white white australians mm -hmm. doing this they'll like be playing and they'll be like shaking their throat with their hands and you'll see like uh aboriginal different mm -hmm. aboriginal groups playing it and they'll be chilling with their other hand like <laughs> tapping a drum or a tree mm -hmm. and then they'll be looking over at like the guy who's playing with them and then you could tell they're like that's cute <laughs> <laughs> man man Ab aboriginal music is crazy in general though yeah you know yeah it, it goes in their so, whole culture is amazing to me yeah you know um, some say almost fifty thousand years with denisovans and and early hominids walking down mm -hmm. right because they don't i mean they you look at them and you're like they do not look like anyone else yeah. on this planet they, they, you know? they had language but before way you, way before before yeah. europeans oh and, yeah at, before europeans even settled oh yeah and, and yeah when when i see like the anglo government whenever it had the aboriginal uh like like basically purification laws mm -hmm. trying to breathe yeah. them out i'm like you're calling them primitive these people <laughs> they're more advanced these people survived yeah. yeah things that you could you europe almost fell with the black plague these people have oh, lived yeah. through countless plagues oh yeah they've yeah. survived the emu wars the australian government they did to yeah. a bunch of flightless birds yeah they did they wow. did like these these individuals mm -hmm. and and then we have torres Strait islanders we can go to the modi people mm -hmm. yeah, yeah we have the fano and the oh i love this because i I lived in New Zealand and and French uh, Polynesia, so like, oh, like the music is incredible. I've always heard that. Yeah. I've always heard that New Zealand was such a hub for yeah. music, yeah. and it just is so appealing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but like, it, I mean, what is it? I I've never experienced it. I've just yeah. heard. It's yeah. like, so so at first, I can mention, I I actually whenever I was in New Zealand, I was asked to be featured on a few albums because there are so few French speaking. Uh, young people wow. in New Zealand, so I Dang. like I was Shameless on. So, <laughs> so I was on a few 
uh, albums and uh, LPs, limited plays, and you were on them. Yeah, yeah. So I feature on a few of them. So oh. we have like in in Dozi Gahadza, will who's those Eshi Inze. Be linked those below? will be linked below <laughs> as well. Those will be linked oh, as nice. well. And you have like people like Invateron and and Moose, who's who's actually of these people. The who all of these people happen to be of the band as well. The ones who didn't go to um, America but went to uh oceana mm -hmm. so so these people left during some of the first diaspora so you have a, a large zimbabwe population influencing the the south african yeah. style of music there so it's like their hip-hop is more akin to what we had in the 90s so that's whenever people are like canada and uh south pacific are stuck back in time it's like no wow. no they're not they're they're in time <laughs> with us it's just mm -hmm. that they're like that is garbage mm -hmm. because if you can't understand what you're listening to what's the point of listening yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah it's like it's like you're not supposed to understand the tones but if you're singing lyrics there must be because if you are listening to your own music and you're like yo i actually don't know what i said there then that's <laughs> yeah that's a unless you're high that's a, that's a <laughs> that's, yeah. a, that's a that's a bit of a problem yeah so like and then we have obviously the haka the the the, the mm -hmm. Modi haka, where uh, people often say, "Oh, that's a war dance. That's not beautiful." Because there's this there was this video that was very popular whenever I was living there. Well, they did the the dance after the unfortunate event that yeah, happened. Absolutely, yeah. they did. They did indeed. And the haka right, are are being written right now. Their hakas written. So like at a wedding, you play the mournful sorrow haka, where where you have the bride's brothers or family, and you have doing the haka that was written in the 1920s by a group of um of northern a, a, a tribe of no no an iwi i don't remember the the name of the iwi but they performed it for anzac soldiers who were leaving mm -hmm. who got constricted by the british military and it's haka is the haka of remembrance and and mourning someone's leaving but at the end, it's they will always be with us. So this is sometimes played at weddings or done at weddings performed. Mm -hmm. And so people often are like, yo, that's a war dance. No. And it's like, no, Hakka is not an ancient thing. That's like, that's like whenever people, you know, Navajo used to. It's like you can't say Navajo used mm -hmm. to. They, yeah. they didn't just die. Yeah. They, they didn't get wiped out with the Trail of Tears or whatever. Mm -mm. They, no, the they Cherokee didn't. didn't get wiped out. Mm -mm. They, they're still living people. They're you, they're running yeah, stuff. You just you, know? you just refuse to acknowledge, right? It's like I wasn't there. It's not my fault. So whenever you meet someone who's a part of that group that that your group did help to like disseminate then you feel it's not my fault yeah it's like people get upset it's the fragility so whenever we have the hakas perform oftentimes on these youtube uh you'll see people in the comments that's not beautiful that's a war dance they're primitives they're savages and it's like, i stay away from the comments yeah it's like it's like they wrote this in the 20s and 30s 1920s and 30s to to as sort of like a a notion that you will come back so the brothers and family perform this to the mm -hmm. bride getting married and then just like the soldier did, the the groom who on most of these most popular videos is white, right? An Anglo or a Euro uh, New Zealander comes in and joins and finishes a song, showing that though you're, I am marrying mm -hmm. uh, your sister, your the daughter, whatever. There. I am also marrying your culture. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, yo, I yeah. will not 
convert her sure. to whatever I believe. Uh-huh. I respect you. So by doing this dance, mm-hmm. you show are showing them that you mm-hmm. have utter respect for their culture. I feel like that is something that needs to be brought into music being fused with other genres. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think at the root of this, what we're trying to get at is basically right if if you're a musician first off if you like music and you like listening to music be well versed listen to as much as you possibly Mm -hmm. can that's my advice listen to everything even if it even if you don't like it just listen to it to be educated in what it is and um if you are an artist and you are a musician and write about what you know because nobody is going to be able to tell that better than you just Mm -hmm. in the same way that this war dance is done by this culture yeah i mean i don't even know if it's fair to call it a war dance Mm -hmm. um i just think it's a a, a expression exactly at at times uses a war dance but and others use but it's what you know yeah it's remembered and 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 write about what you know and if you want to bring in other things Mm -hmm. and you want to write about other things do it with respect Absolutely. Don't do it for any type of gain. Do it because you genuinely have this full respect for whatever yeah. it is and you want to be a part of it, you know? Mm. And that's just like my two cents on the whole conversation. Absolutely. You know? Absolutely. I'm so thrilled that we got to talk about Oceana. I feel like oftentimes in discussions like this, they're left out. Mm-hmm. But yeah, one- I can't, if you were to ask me to name an artist yeah. from Oceana, wouldn't be able to none yeah. immediately come into mind there there's some that are easy enough to name which are like obvious so you have like white artists who are wait easy iggy azalea mm. yep that's the one um wait i think there wasn't there a boy band from australia too? i don't know wait, wasn't that um the only boy band i listen to right now is brock hampton Mm, okay okay <laughs> call him a boy band what, wasn't it like one summer or something five uh, seconds of summer yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> two two artists i could yeah. even get out of here like, <laughs> um, all because that they i to me they were not standouts to me i thought they were american mm-hmm. yeah yeah they, me too they yeah. uh, adopted yeah the, the popular style yeah. of the time so they could be a commercial success no respect over in the united states no respect mm-hmm. and that's how i know yeah. them. i don't know them as an australian artist yeah yeah for sure that's it uh, that's it <laughs> that's it right there all summed up for you you're talking about asia earlier yeah yeah so so how much first, time do we have oh uh, we have we have infinite number of time <laughs> there we go uh so we have like Albert Namajira, who's like a classical, not mm-hmm. classical, but like, but like a, a few, multiple decades ago, mm-hmm. was an Aboriginal artist, but no one knows him. Sinatra mm-hmm. era. And by Sinatra era, I mean like 30 years before Sinatra. So not mm-hmm. Sinatra. <laughs> oh, <okay. laughs> uh, so we have this, this, this artist who's from there and he sings a style very similar. And we have recordings of Tasman Islanders, like Tasmanian people who sing from like the 20s. But they they were all they were wiped out like mm-hmm. tasmanian language is not spoken anymore it, like there are only a, a select number of 
indigenous language that are still spoken. Like people say Modi is the language of the Modi people in New Zealand, but people don't know that like Modi is just the language that survived in New Zealand and that uh, the Cook Island Modi people, even though they're related genetically, their languages are not intelligible at all. Really? It's like an Indo-European language that includes Hindi and, uh, and English. Wow. <laughs> you can't understand wow. people who speak Hindi. So like, mm -hmm. it's like, it's not that disparate, but that's the idea. Obviously mm -hmm. it's smaller and there's less time, mm -hmm. but it's like these people only have English as their mutual intelligible language. Wow. And they also perform Hakka, but it's, it's slightly different and it's not called Hakka. They all have Hongi, which is like the passing of life. But yeah. So like, they're, it's just something to look out for. Yeah. Uh, Oceana. It's not big and up and coming. It's it's been here the whole time. We've just forgotten. Now now we need to remember. <laughs> something else that I feel like uh, keeping with Asia um, mm -hmm. needs to be remembered and not sort of forgotten. And I obviously don't live here, so I don't really know how relevant it is in that culture. Yeah. But I can say something that I want more of but can't seem to find enough of because i feel like it's dying is mongolian music yes the the, the, the throat singing yes yeah we were actually just mm. about to get on that. yeah yes absolutely yeah. transition yeah <laughs> transition <laughs> yeah um it is very interesting to say the least it's hard it is. I, I, i'm guilty of trying it in the shower yeah See, so <laughs> this, this goes along the same lines as we we don't have the capacity because mm -hmm. we don't we don't train for this mm -hmm. so it's yeah. not saying that it's impossible yeah like the right? guy with the shells yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. that's that's completely possible yeah. very like you you have to you invest your grow time up there yeah you know? yeah because now yeah. as individuals at, at our age we're going to have to practice literally mm -hmm. day in day out yeah not this is going to be our job like you have to have some form of passive income if you want to learn this yes because you're not going to work yeah. You're just doing this for years on end. And then maybe, maybe you're like, you're a savant of this. And then you're the first non-included uh, person to break into this world. Mm -hmm. But you have to show utmost respect because you are not from it, right? You're not of it. Mm -hmm. You're coming to it. Yeah. But you're not from it. Mm -hmm. So like you, you, you can't. And then like with the Mongolian throat singing, right? I, I actually... I think I was watching this. You may know them too. They're these two artists who who are on YouTube and it's like rock mixed with Mongolian throat singing. Is there a name or I can look it up. Um however, the it's it's the same instance like where it seems difficult to us because we can't do it. Like with mm -hmm. Miriam Makabe. But because, it seems effortless. Yeah, yeah, because she can sing while moving her tongue and right. maintain, and and it doesn't change the way the air moves out of her mouth. Mm -hmm. Like to us, she can't do that. That has to be fake. Yeah, but mm -hmm. like to her, that's that's nothing. And and as weird as it sounds, this is also part of the reason why I really, really, really want to learn how to proficiently play the banjo. <laughs> Just because, because it's like you know, I mean, I'm from North Georgia. You know, I want to. Yeah, I want to be able to do that. So, uh, for those of you who are listening, I'm currently looking at, at uh the throat singing mm -hmm. rock. Um, I'm gonna look at the title of the users, the Who. 
The H-U? Who? Mm-hmm. Is that how you pronounce it? I think Not so. like the band The Who? No. I've never heard of these guys. Yeah. Mm, never. They, they seem to be very close to, um, to, like from an uninformed perspective, they seem to be similar to rock. Yeah, they definitely have the aesthetic. I mean, just looking at the visuals in this video, I mean, they're slumped, messy house, you know, yeah. which yeah. is weird because you wouldn't expect this style to come from i mean this is also stereotypes mm-hmm. like stereotypes of asians yeah yeah you know? see that's what they're doing once it, the satire yeah you, you yeah. appeal to a western audience by doing the satire so whenever your own people mm-hmm. look at it they know that uh that's that's funny because they people are actually going to believe that oh wow he picked up uh i don't know what that instrument's called but it's 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 played with a bow traditionally it's a single or three-stringed instrument yes okay yeah it's traditionally i believe it's played with a bow oh he's using a bow in it Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah but that's the instrument that accompanies the throat singing Mm -hmm. i don't know it the name exactly but critique me as you may but uh, but yeah i'll definitely look into him later yeah absolutely so that 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 to me is interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then we move to Vietnam, right? We had Samuel Pham on the show, whose parents mm-hmm. uh, come from Vietnam. Uh, Samuel, obviously born in the U.S., so please don't walk up and say where you're from originally. That's not okay. Show some respect. <laughs> show some respect. Anyways, so, uh, so we have a musical style mm-hmm. and Cambodia, right? I, I speak a little Khmer because oh, wow. I because I worked at uh, Asiano and I'm. I, I, I just love uh like listening to other cultures, learning their language because are they chain? Uh his sister owns uh, a restaurant and his brother owned a restaurant. Uh, so like they're not a chain. I got you. But like almost all of them like you. started restaurants, but mm-hmm. like a few of them don't do restaurants. But yeah. Anyway. Um so yeah. So like these types of music, right? Khmer music, uh, which is Cambodia. And then Khmer, my bad. And then we have like Vietnamese, Chinese music sounds all the same. Like you have the high pitched woman's voice, mm-hmm. uh, like doing a mm-hmm. what would sound to us like a ballad, uh, just over the lyrical um, overtones on the music. You know, I'm not going to imitate it because that's not okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> but we'll really obviously we'll obviously include some in in the description below. Mm-hmm. But like these music seem to be unchanged from like the 60s. Mm-hmm. But if yeah. but if you were in the culture, if you lived there, then you would clearly see that the music in the 60s, mm-hmm. if you played it now for somebody who lives in Vietnam in 2019, they would know. They'd be like, why are you playing this old music? And then as an American, oh, it sounds the same as that. And they're going to be like, no, it yeah. doesn't. No, I, it feel, doesn't. <laughs> I feel like another Asian style of music that breaks that is... Uh, and it's completely underrated. Even if you can't understand what they're saying, the music in general and the instrumentation completely break all of that is J-pop and K-pop. Okay. Korean pop mm-hmm. and Japanese pop. Mm-hmm. It just like the stereotype of what you think that music is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you listen mm-hmm. to that and knowing that that is what is pop right now, it's like sort yeah, of yeah. swivels it's your head. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel that like, I, from personal experience, I feel that K-pop might be uh, a machine to get mm-hmm. Western mm-hmm. Uh, capitalists onto the well, vibe. Capitalism in mind, <laughs> Korea and America have always been 
yeah you know, talking mm-hmm. behind the table yeah yeah because you know? like these these boys these light skin uh skinny mm-hmm. cute boys but not Emphasis. intimidating right mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so that so that american males don't they could they could be like oh 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 so either you're smart and you're weak mm-hmm. or I don't want to mess with you because you look like you can beat me up with karate. The it term is, gay. Yeah, yeah, there's, is there's thrown around. There's no it's a false dichotomy, yeah, right? Yeah. You only give them two options. And then if they don't fit the mold, then right. you're like, "Oh, you're 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 and then they don't know what to say." It seems like the same thing that happened to Justin Bieber when he was really young. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah it seems yeah. like the same thing that happened mm-hmm. to him because he got a lot of that backlash. Yeah. yeah. He looked 12. Yeah, he, was, he, he yeah, did. He, he did. He did yeah. look young. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's often that that males are mad because I am machissimo, right? Mm-hmm. I am the, the strongest. But I don't have that. Yeah. But he gets more girls. Than, yeah. No, he's gay. Right. It's like, oh, you, yeah. The you, defense you, comes you, in. Yeah. It's it's a fragility. It, I love saying fragility. This what much. what kills me is that if if those things are going to break you, then you are not masculine yeah you're, you're outwardly masculine yeah. <laughs> i always say this as a joke but i mean it sincerely the the one way to like be the alpha is to just take mm-hmm. your masculinity and throw it out absolutely the <laughs> absolutely because because whenever i sit and i'm in the room with people who are openly gay mm-hmm. i don't feel attacked i i don't i don't, yeah. I don't yeah. care if you're straight if you're gay we it's are fun. going to it's have fun to poke conversations. the bigots yeah, because it's, it's real obvious. fun. It's like, <laughs> because it's, it makes them mad. There's no point of being yeah. s- outwardly and, strong if you're not mentally strong. And that being in music is a subculture that a lot of people aren't aware of. Yeah. It's the music that's just there to piss people off. Because yeah. they know it'll piss them off. Yeah, yeah. like um who is it? Who is it? Marilyn Manson? Yeah. He, his his androgyny. And yet he <laughs> yeah, still has dude. a he's still married, right? He I still think has so, a, yeah. he still has a wife and he's openly uh, acting what the hegemony considers associated gay. with uh, one of the biggest cartoon shows of all time, SpongeBob. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. The, the hegemony's like, that guy's gay. Yeah. Look at look at what he says on the internet. That guy likes men. And then the, whenever they see his wife, no, 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 it's a lie. It's it's a he's pretending. And, or like Jeffrey Star. It's almost the, like a victory. Yeah, yeah. You know, getting the reaction Absolutely. like that. The yeah. Jeffrey Star, the makeup yeah. artist who who has um cosmetic surgery uh-huh. to look I guess alien-esque. So like yeah. uh oh, sort of that's who what his name is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. I think he's also an artist, um, a singer. Mm-hmm. But like Jeffrey Star, mm-hmm. who has a who has a wife, mm-hmm. and then it's like he he's a makeup artist, right? Mm-hmm. So you know all of these men. Typically, the ones that are most popular that you see, James Charles, who who's a young um, white man, and then you have these others who like a guy I knew from high school named Petey, who who is um, Asian. Uh, so typically, these guys are are gay and they're openly gay. Mm-hmm. But the fact that Jeffrey Star is a makeup artist who's not gay, but still is beyond metrosexual to the point of being flamboyant in mm-hmm. in the in the common notion of what is gay but is not sexually yeah. with a man makes people mad because yeah. they can't place him in a category. Yeah. And if mm-hmm. I don't know what you are, I'm xenophobic because mm-hmm. something that I don't know, I don't understand, I have to fear. That's what it's called. Yeah. That's the term. I never knew yeah. that it had a name. Xenophobia. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 
That's crazy. They learn something new every day. Yeah, because like <clears throat> that'd be a cool name for a band. Mm. Xenophobia. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like it's trying little... to think about that. <laughs> yeah. How that would work. I feel like you'd have to only do satire that would piss people off. Like yeah, if they you'd didn't have to. if they didn't realize <laughs> they couldn't be on the joke. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. That's it how it'd have to be. There was a band, there's a fictional band in a movie that I have been hooked on recently. I I tell everyone about it. Um it's yeah. called The Green Room. Mm-hmm. It's on Netflix, but the band the fictional band in that movie, they're called the Ain't Rights. Mm. <laughs> like the alt-right and yeah, yeah, the yeah. Ain't Rights. Um, that movie's crazy. Uh, it's, I'm going to go on a little spiel about it. It's music related. Okay. But um, basically, they're this group um, from D.C. Mm. And they're a hardcore punk band. They follow a lot of the roots of groups like Black Flag, Fugazi, Minor Threat. And they're touring. And they end up playing a, a bunked show, which basically mm-hmm. means you make mm-hmm. no money. And when that happens on tour, you have to call it. You have to cancel everything and go back because you don't have money to continue. Mm-hmm. So the guy who got that show for him, he's like, I got you one more show. You know, we can do it down here. It's in Oregon. So basically this band, they play for a bar full of neo-Nazis. Oh. And, they're, and they're in the green room and and they're like making all these jokes and they're like, they run a tight ship. Yeah, but it's a U-boat. You know, like they're just being so obvious about it. And so one of the guys turns around and says, hey, I got a really bad idea. So they open the set with a cover song that came out in 1984, I'm going to say. I'm probably wrong on that by a band called the Dead Kennedys. Mm. And uh, is it okay if I swear? Is there yeah, yeah. profanity allowed? We're already on an explicit. <laughs> the, the name of the song is called Nazi Punks Fuck Off. Mm. And they play that in front of everyone. And the back, the rest of the movie is just, I'm not going to ruin it, but like you can imagine yeah. what, I mean, movie's crazy. Yeah. It's a crazy movie. Absolutely. The Warfare. The Warfare. The Warfare is something else that I see a lot in music between mm-hmm. oh, cultures yeah. oh yeah the warfare is there absolutely and since we've already talked about warfare mm-hmm. and we know that i have a, a history of not doing my homework until the last minute because i'm watching star trek mm-hmm. and stargate <laughs> hey we are going to bring in stargate not not we're not just gonna skip music this involves music so in star trek Star Trek. Uh, Are you talking about the TV series? Or yeah, the, 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 uh, the original series. Oh, with okay. Picard or Kirk? Uh, this one's Kirk. Okay. So, so we talk about Kirk. All the music is, you know, you know, the classical, yes. mm-hmm. classical. So this yeah. is, this is fodder music. What I like to call. It, space music. Yeah, it, it, it has its yeah, own yeah, genre. Yeah, it, just, it just fills gaps, right? And then we move into TNG whenever it gets more, more uh, composed, composed better. And then we get to a space, right, where we have Times Arrow, which is a two-part series. It wraps up mm-hmm. the, the series, uh, two-part two-part episode. It wraps up the series. It's brilliant. It 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 kills me, but it's like Picard is flying back and forth in time, mm-hmm. realizing that there are different futures, different possibilities because the Q are there and they're influencing him. He's and, in that movie, by the way, Picard. The yeah. actor Patrick Pat Patrick Stewart. Patrick Stewart's in Green Room. 
Mm. He's like the head Nazi. I will most, <laughs> really I, I will, I will most certainly have to watch that film. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> Captain Picard. <laughs> so he's flying back and forth, back and forth. And by Occam's razor, he's like the easiest explanation, mm. but it just defiles it. And then he goes back to the beginning of the universe in the end. And then the music that's playing along with it, the accompaniment is yeah. brilliant. But perhaps better than that one is this episode, which is possibly the slowest and an episode that doesn't involve uh, like aliens fighting each other is the episode known as the inner light. And what happens in that episode? So, I what so about. the ship is flying. Mm-hmm. What not flying? There's no air. The ship it's is floating. moving <laughs> <laughs> through space, and it comes upon a a satellite mm-hmm. that, that was launched a thousand years ago, I think. Mm-hmm. And then it connects with Picard mentally. And then he wakes up and he's on this planet and he's living this guy's life. And he like a dream. Yeah. He's, 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 but, but on the ship, he's only been asleep for like five minutes, 10 Mm -hmm. minutes. Wow. But he's living throughout this life. Right. And then then the music's like sort of standard, uh, next generation music. So Mm -hmm. like light. So it's the kind of music whenever you're watching a show, because you know, whenever you're watching a show, you're like, I don't know, I didn't feel it. And then someone tells you, oh, there was no music. And you're like, that's why I didn't mm-hmm. feel it. So it's like the kind of music that you don't notice whenever you're watching it until like he gets a flute and he goes like, what is this? And his wife goes like, that's, that's a flute. You never learned how to play it. And then he starts to play it. And then near the end of it, right, the, the music that accompanies it, right? So, so the planet dies, mm-hmm. right? Basically the it's see this is a brilliant of star trek fans please people who listen to the show even if you hate me watch star trek because watch it. it's so much social commentary this planet is dying because of climate change <laughs> in the 80s they were talking about this <laughs> oh and then people are like no it's gonna be fine and then eventually he's like why we have spaceships why don't we try to save it and then the um all like his friend who died like friend my friend and he goes like, what? You're dead. And then he goes like, no. Remember how whenever you first came here, you said this was not your life? You are right. But we are showing you how we died so you could remember us because we couldn't save our own people. We wanted to save our memory. Wow. And then the that song that he plays on the flute is called The Inner Light. And, and, <laughs> and it is the first time I had watched a television series that made me cry. Yeah. Because whenever... He like, they're like, no, that never happened. You're only asleep for five minutes. And they were like, oh, you have years of memory inside of your mind. So it something did happen. And then he like gets to his room. Then he opens up his jacket pocket from the satellite. It had transported the flute that the guy whose life was living. He worked on the, his daughter worked on the project to put the spaceship up. So whenever he died, she put his flute on the, 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 the craft that went up that had memories like these memories created. So the flute was in his pocket. And then he was like, surely not. Then he starts playing it and then he knows the song. So it shows that he actually did it. But I think that's the brilliant of music, right? Cause I'm not just going on a spiel about Star Trek. Mm-hmm. The, the, the music, the, the score that was, that was written, right? The inner light. It was mm-hmm. the first song whenever I had Spotify that I added to a playlist, really? right? which, is, which is weird, right? Wow. But like the I'm inner trying, light. I'm trying to think of the first song I ever added to a it's, Spotify playlist. It's like, I'm going to look it up now. 
it was so brilliant. The first oh. song I ever uploaded. Oh, oh it's like it's like dubstep. <laughs> <laughs> it's like middle school, mate. <laughs> like like it. This this song was uh, composed by Jay Chataway, mm. who who does a lot of uh, Star Trek music, and it just it like like because as someone who doesn't typically listen to like uh soft i guess classical mm-hmm. theme music right mm-hmm. i i played baroque a little bit whenever i played cello uh but not not that well and whenever the song hits me whenever i hear this mm-hmm. like it, it like brings up memories that are not my own like this is it like whenever wow, I'm like watching, really? when yeah, I feel like I am the person. Wow. The, the song bridges you to the life experience that's not even real. Wow! And that's how I feel. Like whenever I'm like, like you, you, uh, Christian and I earlier were talking about the the beginning, the introduction to this, which I played with Nehemiah on the piano, right? And we weren't thinking; we just played it. No, no music theory training, mm-hmm. but like we played it, and we wanted it to like link to the different stories, like sort of an anthology piece of music and and that's that's sort of my inspiration the inner light even though it sounds nothing like the inner light i wanted a music that resonates so deeply so whenever you hear it it connects you with the stories that are within the two spans of the music the the podcast between the overture and then the the final piece i feel that way when i listen to radiohead yeah and there's one specific song that i always feel this way about is uh weird fishes and it's an arpeggio Mm -hmm. And I think it's part of the reason why I love classical guitar so much is because of that song. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that song in specific and that band, it makes me feel that way. Absolutely. Sure. Absolutely. And oh, since since we're already in the sci-fi verse. Oh, yes. Yeah, I was, was going to say Twilight Zone. That's ooh, another TV show ooh, where the music the, is. The anthology. It yeah. makes you feel <laughs> it, it makes you because there's so much dissidence in it. Mm-hmm. And it makes you, but it doesn't have that old school. Yeah, you know, yeah. you know what the X Files mm-hmm. does as a trope. It does it. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. The Twilight Zone draws you, and then it makes you feel uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And then you're dropped into the yeah. world that looks the same as ours. Oh yeah, yeah. Until you get a little bit further, and you're like, oh no, this doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. And that- then you realize, oh, this isn't the same planet I live on, or maybe it is, and I've just been assimilated and i can't see it then you walk out from watching a few episodes of twilight zone and you're like oh no this could be right now i don't know what's happening that the music oh and the twilight zone also like the music i used to think was like not mixed very well for the 60s i was like yo why is the music so loud while he's talking Mm -hmm. but then i realized the the character like there was this episode about this alien he's an old man and he hangs out with his with this like girl and then he they're they're trying to get him and she goes like why and then he's like oh because i am uh then they tell him no he's our king he left because i can't take the responsibility and they're like you're an old man he goes like yes but i'm only 600 and then it's like yo what and you start yeah and then the music comes in and then they're like we got to take you and he's like no and then you hear him yelling but the music is just a little bit under his voice mm-hmm. so it sounds like he's trying that their argument is is already covered up by the music but it sounds like him getting louder mm-hmm. is trying to kill the music which represents their argument yeah mm-hmm. and oh 
Another score that's underrated is the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's true. Pirates of the Caribbean scores in those movies. Mm. I, I know you're smiling. I, I, I giggle too <laughs> when I talk about it, but they're underrated, man. They really are. They, they, they're, they're good. <laughs> they're, they're real good. What? <laughs> I think I think Christian hates uh, uh no, 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 no. no I, I I don't hate them. Um they're really good. They're iconic. That's it's, why I like them. Yeah. yeah. There's mass appeal. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> I yeah, the, yeah, I'll, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll contend that they're good. Yeah, the one, the one song, um, the pirate chant, the ballad, "Never Say We Die," uh, thieves and beggars, whatever that one is. It's like when the kid's getting mm. hung in the third movie, and oh, he starts okay. singing, and on all the pirates start singing. Mm. I've always like watched that, and I've always wanted to be like, that's what I want my shows um, to be like. But- <laughs> What I think this all relates to is music has such a powerful impact on people. Mm-hmm. And one thing that I feel like isn't talked about enough in history courses in public education and in secondary education is there is so much um, attachment between historical events mm. and the arts. Yeah. That we forget that they're, yes, that we forget yeah, yeah, they're yeah. connected oh, when, yeah. when they are. Um, like, for instance, my favorite example of the raw power that music has mm-hmm. over society is, I want to get the state right, I want to say 1918, mm. it was Igor Stravinsky's The Rite of Spring. Okay, okay. Um, so for the audience who may not be familiar with The Rite of Spring, it is a, it is a ballet about... Um, there's no real nice way to put it, but savages. And it goes through there. It's not about a certain type of people. It's just a stereotype of savagery mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and Vikings. The whole entire theater on the premiere of the night broke out into riots on the streets. What? Because what had never been done before is they did a sacrifice on stage and the music was, uh, it was all arrhythmic, mm. um, uh, arrhythmic, atonal. Okay. And so it pushed the gap of yeah. what was socially acceptable mm. in society. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. to have that riots broke out in the streets. And I, I want to say Paris, wow. That's, that's so crazy that's, to think about. Oh man. Um whenever you say the historical 1913. 1913. Okay. When that's very interesting. Whenever you talk about this, it makes me think of go to Shahrazad, the based on the story of 1001 Arabian Nights. Mm-hmm. So it's a it Rimsky wrote it. It's a story of uh so there's a sultan, there's this ruler of this land who is um he has a bad a wife who like is bad so he has her killed and then he promises she's not bad but she cheats on him so he says i can't trust women so he says i will marry for one day and then kill her at the morning so he does this and he's clearing through the virgins of the country like because he's killing them every night i mean killing them before every morning because he's like F it. I don't need any more children. What a so player. So just going through, right? 
toxic masculine. <laughs> and, and so he's going through and Shahrazad says to her father, I am a good storyteller, father. I will end this. This is no longer happening. You will die, my daughter. She's, if I must die and, and I must save him from himself and all the other women from him. Mm-hmm. So she goes and she says, oh, don't take me. I'll tell you a story. The story's brilliant the first night. He passes out. She's already broken the tradition. I, oh, let me. Oh, I'll tell you another story. And then she keeps it on a cliffhanger. And she keeps doing that, right? Because these stories are leading into stories. It's not a thousand and one nights. It's more like 300 nights, almost a year. But the the thousand and one come from the interweaving stories. A thousand and one stories that are going, depending on how you count them. And then they're weaving. So Rimsky's piece shows the interweaving of the stories until, oh, speaking of arpeggios, it just breaks. The music breaks. But I think with an oboe comes through and pulls it through to a violin solo, which is always played on a Stradivarius. You can't play it on anything else. You cannot. And then it comes through with about 45 seconds of just brilliant minor to major. Oh, it's mm-hmm. just, you know, just, I'm not even going to imitate it, but it, listen to it, Shahrazad. It just goes through. I can hear it in my head right now. And then all the rest of the music, like, dun, comes in as it's finishing, just at the tightest pull. I think it, it might be an E at the bottom, just the tightest E possible. Then the rest of the dun comes up. That's the voices of the other women who didn't have to die. They're coming through. The king or the sultan, however you call him, is now a reformed man. He sees that it is his own fault. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Rimsky. Rimsky managed to make brilliant composition yeah. to reflect the stories of A Thousand One Arabian Nights. Of course, there weren't actually A Thousand and One Nights until like a French translator started adding stories that were oral traditions because the first version written were being written down, but like from oral traditions. And then the first few writers didn't have a, enough. Uh, and this is Rimsky-Korsakov? Yeah. Yeah. So Rimsky was Rimsky was doing well. Will the links for these also be down below? I This is a lot of links, but we're going <laughs> to do it. We might go over the limit. but This is an exciting two episodes. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, keeping with the tradition, and this might, we might have to cut it because the sun is waning and we got here a little bit uh, a few hours ago. <laughs> it's a good day, though. Yeah, yeah, it is. Um, so we talked about Star Trek. We talked about classical history mm-hmm. of music. We talked about a few things. We talked about jazz in the last episode. We talked. Mm-hmm. We talked about the whole world in the last episode. So there's this episode, the last episode, my favorite science fiction series to date, Stargate uh, SG One. Yeah. I was about to say Stargate ironically, but then you said Stargate, Stargate. SG One. <laughs> I've seen it. It's it's good. <laughs> but I, it's I like, have not seen it's like, it's like it's is it it's like it's like Star Trek. It's no, mm, it's oh. it's satirical in the beginning. Um, A little bit, yeah. Um, it's good. Yeah, yeah. I watch it with my dad. Okay, okay, <laughs> that makes sense. A lot of people have told me that, but if you guys think, "Oh, this guy's a nerd," Stargate. Hey, all of you guys out there, all of you young women who are obsessed with Jason Momoa. The new Aquaman. Yep. 
he 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 yeah. was he was Roman yeah. Dex and Stargate Atlantis. And he and if you subscribe to him on YouTube on ev- an an episode whenever he went to the All Black Skin, he met up with one of his friends who used to be a stunt double on Stargate. Mm-hmm. So don't play me with mm-hmm. that nerd trash because yeah. Roman Dex watched Stargate. Let people enjoy things. <laughs> Stop hitting me with that. <laughs> Stop giving the hate. Women support women. Men mm-hmm. support men. Men support women. And women support men, Boom. folks. Yeah. That's the key to life, really. Support yeah. one another. And listen to the music. Hey, <laughs> if you're non-binary, I support you too. There you go. Yes. But yeah, so this the final episode of Star. I'm sorry I had to mention Jason Momoa. Thank you, Jason Momoa. You play a brilliant Aquaman, but a better Ronan Dex on Stargate Atlantis. Thank you. A better Cal Drogo on Game of Thrones. Indeed. That he, movie poster was weak, by the way. That's a side note. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's why, that's why, folks, you got to hire brilliant graphic designers. And if you like graphic design, wedding photography, photography of any kind, come to Monumental Creative Firm, where you can do it. Hey. So this final episode of SG-1 called unending they're stuck on a ship right mm-hmm. time travel a lot just like time zero mm-hmm. i feel like it's a trope it's a it's a sci-fi trope but it's necessary yeah. so they're in a time dilation field uh fighting the ori and then sam carter says i've always wanted to learn how to play cello and then um so they're on the ship they're being fired at they had to slow down time around them so now she has all the time in the world <laughs> so she learns how to play cello right and then Tilk, who's a Jaffa, is a lifespan of like 150 years. So they're on this, on this uh, ship for like 50 years. The general dies because he was already old. Uh, people start dying. And they're like, how have we done this? And then to the Ori, they already destroyed the ship and left. Yeah. Because the time is normal. But they slowed down time outside of the time dilation field. Or rather, they sped up time inside they reverse mm-hmm. the time dilation field to save themselves. So they lived out their life before the Ori killed them. Mm-hmm. But Tilk having a lifespan, Carter was like, yeah, I was going to do this, but there has to be someone within a containment field to, uh, but there's not enough power to reverse the time. And then Tilk was like, drop the shields, right? The, the Ori beam comes through, puts in enough energy through the conduits to have enough uh, mm-hmm. energy to reverse the time. So Tilk says, oh, I have another like 70 years to live. So I'll still outlive you, even though I'm going to stay old because I have to, because like the, the key to this was somebody had to be in the containment field to put the crystal in. So they would remain the age that they accomplished. But since he lives 150 years, natural lifespan, because mm-hmm. he genetically modified, he's like, you know, I'll still outlive you, even though I'm already this old. So he does it. And whenever he's about to do this, Sam Carter, who decided to learn, because now she's in her 70s, mm-hmm. who decided to learn 80s, how to play cello while Tilk is about to do this. The music that's that's playing, like leading up, obviously, the, the tense music is from the character playing the cello in the final moments. Wow. So it's just like going in mm-hmm. and it's like deep and melodic mm-hmm. and it's filled with melancholy because she knows she's not going to die. She's not playing for herself because time's going to be reversed and nobody outside of the bubble is going to remember that. No, Nobody outside. Mm-hmm. It, but Tilk, she's playing for Tilk because he had to sacrifice some of his years and all the memories with them because he remembers everything. People fell in love on the ship. People, people like live their whole lives 
on the ship, the general died. She's playing because he will be the only one to remember it. She's playing the tone for him. Wow. And and the sad part is she will never she won't be able to play it because she didn't learn how to play cello until after they were in there. So she uh, so so literally she can never play it wow. again. And he hears it, but he can never hear it again. It all of this stuff only survives in his memory. Yeah. So just because uh I'm curious, did that become this character's motif? After, but that that's that's the that's the last season of Stargate SG1. So, oh, dude, that's the last episode. So he, you can see that he has a white streak in his hair, and he decides to grow his hair long because he's already lived a human lifespan. And then he's just, he just happens to live longer. So on whenever he's visiting Atlantis, you can see that he was already old and wise because he was like fifty, even though he only looked like he was thirty. Mm-hmm. He was already older than anyone on the team that he helped in the first movie, or in the in the yeah yeah in Children of the Gods, the first episode in nineteen ninety seven. He was already in his fifties. So at this time in two thousand seven. He's like 60, but he only looks like he's 30. Wow. So whenever he's in Atlantis, you can see it in him, like this pain, this pain that we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. You can see it in his character that he has lived through. Because he's already lived through wars whenever he served for the Gaul who wipe out civilizations. And he already had to come to terms with the fact. That's like a, the, the fact that he fought with the person that would eventually become his He fought for evil people and that he had to come to terms with the fact that i have done evil things so he lived throughout this life but the worst thing is that he has these memories and none of his friends can remember it Mm. and then in because the series that continues it is atlantis so he visits the atlantis on occasion the midway station and you can see that he looks slightly older which makes sense because it's like a few years after that episode aired Mm -hmm. so he's older because he's actually older but it said his character is so much older than the rest. And he, he like looks at them as old friends, but, and they are old friends because they've already been together for 10 years, mm-hmm. but like he, he knows so much more about them. And the, the, it's, it's the, it's the existence of the loner. And that's the kind of pain that Tilk feels because even though he knows they're already friends and they're re- very good friends, he knows that he saw so much more of them. Yeah. Whenever, during that and even though they'll make new memories and he'll be able to grow old with them again mm-hmm. it's not the same it's it's because he they'll never experience mm-hmm. those things like mm-hmm. he did they, they've, to to have job security and being one of the people who is either a musician or who composes scores for tv shows like that or movies i mean mm-hmm. to be able to portray those things through mm-hmm. the music like Job security must be crazy good. <laughs> Absolutely. Like, uh, is it Hans Zimmer? Oh, Hans Zimmer destroys well, it. I don't know about job security because there are such high expectations. It's, yeah, yeah. You, you get one what shot. What I mean? Yeah. You, you, you get one shot, and if it's good, come back. Mm-hmm. If not, it's a bust. But what a lot of people do, um, so John Williams. Mm-hmm. Uh, we all know him as the composer for Star Wars, mm-hmm. Indiana Jones, mm-hmm. childhood films of ours. Right, yeah. While he did compose these works, he doesn't actually orchestrate them. He has an orchestrator. And really? so in like this notebook, he'll write um, like, this I definitely want for trumpets, like the, the fanfare in Indiana Jones yeah. or the Star yeah, Wars yeah, yeah, entrance. Yeah. 
he'll sometimes do stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But other than that, it's up to the orchestrators. Really? So there's a whole team that is just for uh, music production mm-hmm. and movies. Mm-hmm. So it's not just like one guy clunking hours out on a piano. Yeah. And they're given so much time ahead before um, the movie starts or before they want to air the movie that they get started on day one when they're signed. Um, My, it's not the same exact thing, but with um, with Disney at one of their theme parks, I had a previous teacher of mine, Terry Kenny. Which theme park was it? It was Disney World. Um, in the, Florida, Florida, yes. yeah. yeah, Disney World Resort. Um, at the end of the closing of the parade, or the closing of the parks, they have the Fan Illusion Light yes. Parade. Yeah, and um, he was paid fifteen thousand dollars to just not even compose it because he's not the composer. He just arranged it really differently so they could keep copyright. Wow. It was just like so, one big thing of fifteen thousand. Yeah, it, it, it was. Wow. He showed me the check, and he's like, "Here's the check." Dang! Wow, best that's thing crazy. I've ever done. That's fun, though. That's that's really um, that's an accomplishment. Yeah. So there's a lot more into um, being a movie, com- a film composer than meets the yeah. eye. Yeah. yeah, I didn't. I, yeah. I I always thought it was just like one guy directing mm-hmm. the whole show. Mm-hmm. Hans Zimmer, he has a studio of people that yeah. help him. Wow. Yeah. Do you ever listen to the music on uh, Electric Company? Do you ever see that show? No. Dang. Not not a lot of people have. It was... I've heard of it, no doubt. Yeah. It was like Sesame Street, but yeah, yeah. Uh, like the green generation, or the green generation Sesame Street. Yeah, yeah. Because um, the Electric Company, whenever people start mentioning like shows like this that I didn't grow up watching, so like uh between the lions, I looked up that. Um, wow. Zabumafu. Oh man. I looked up that. What is it? What was it? The uh, cyber chase. Yeah. I, I looked up. I looked up the yeah. scores for all these because people like SpongeBob. I never watched uh, animation whenever I was a child, mm-hmm. like because I only had Canal Plus and channels like that. So like whenever people mention them, I look up their music. If I like their music, I'll consider reading the wiki. So did you like SpongeBob music to no. where? Oh, dang! Wait, hold on, like, how far did you go into SpongeBob soundtrack? Because they have a they have a lot. they have a wide discography. Their discography is almost completely derived from the band Ween, 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 mm-hmm. and the the entire um idea for spongebob in the first place came from the song ocean man off of their uh oceanic album mm. yeah a lot of people don't know that it's it's a little fun trivia that's ween. a trivia fact yeah. right there w-e-e-n ween inspired yeah. the entirety of the spongebob show with the song ocean man and that's why it's at the end of the movie too yeah excellent well since we've mentioned ocean ocean brawl that's a song by Quebec artist uh, Cœur du Barat, who is um, singing in French. We'll obviously link that down below. But so we have this instance in the last, in the last episode, for us an hour ago, <laughs> where <laughs> we talk about that we think other cultures are behind us mm-hmm. musically. But Cœur du Barat is one that I think is interesting right and we're gonna wrap it up obviously because we're just listing artists and this is good conversation 
Mm. But we're about to have to make three episodes. Of <laughs> we, 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 we can wrap it up. You know? <laughs> no, no, we're gonna keep talking, no doubt, until it until it wanes down. But uh, I just want to mention this one. Um, so she she talks about like pain and struggle and mixes in. That's the cool thing about Canada and these other countries, right? Mm-hmm. Where it's like English, French, right? And then it's like the weaving in and out. Because like on the on the album, she has like Ocean Brawl, which is in English. And then she has uh uh Drapeau Blanc, white flag in French, and there's like just songs in English, and then another one in French, and there's songs that mix the two. And it's like so cool. It's so cool. Mm-hmm. So could you say her name one more time? Uh Cœur du Pirate, the heart of a pirate. Dang. Oh. Me yeah. too. <laughs> I I think I don't think cultures advance different times in music. I think they advance differently. Yeah, that's that's what we that's yeah, yeah. that's what we've been trying to say the whole yeah. podcast. Isn't there the reawakening movement going on in France? Yeah, 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 yeah. So so the re knowing, like sort of the reconnaissance where where there's like a, a musical style. It's so similar to, uh, some might say romantic period. So it's quite old. So like 1970s, 80s, Madeleine Peru. And then you have um, other people like Edith Piaf. Uh, and um, there are a lot of artists, right? And then we have Stromae, who's Belgian. And then he makes music's ballads, ba- ballads, not ballads. <laughs> <laughs> he has ballads and... Laurent Danse, that might be very popular. That's like EDM. Uh, it's probably the song that all mm-hmm. uh, people who are not from a French-speaking country know. Um, and then he has Formidable, which I play almost every day. Uh, it's yeah, I got it, it, song like that. It, it means wonderful, uh, and it's funny to an English speaker because formidable means like strong, because it like has fort, which is strength in French, but in French formidable means wonderful. Because to have the strength to not fight back is wonderful. Mm. So it's like, and then the second part, the second part of this song is Tu étais formidable, j'étais formidable. So that's, it's like you were, you were basically wonderful, formidable, I was miserable. So like you were strong enough and I was like a weak groveling fool trying to get you to come back to me. Hmm. And then the music video is of Stromae, like walking around the streets of uh, Brussels, pretending to be drunk and showing people's reactions to him. And the police walk up to him and they're like, Sevastromay, are you okay? And he's like, yeah, So he yeah. did this whole thing like live, like yeah. live action? Yeah. Oh, wow. And then he didn't tell anyone, right? Mm-hmm. And then that's the cool thing about Belgium where an extremely famous artist can walk around. Yeah. And then there's a respect that happens in Europe where, you know, if you walk up to someone like stalking them, you'll get in trouble. And the same thing exists in America, Mm -hmm. but like, it's like Hollywood sort of propagates that, that you just walk up to people and say hello, which is fine. But whenever there are mass groups of people going up to someone, you're disrupting their privacy. Yeah. And just, just because they're a celebrity, an artist does not mean that they deserve that. Yeah. That's, that's one thing that I love about Athens the whole art scene in Athens is beautiful because no one's wanting to take it anywhere. Yeah. 
everyone just wants to keep it right there because it mm -hmm. just works so well. And yeah. walking around downtown, I'll see members of other bands who are much bigger than me, mm -hmm. who we idolize, you know, and yeah, yeah. and you just kind of remember like, hey, like, what's up? You know? Ooh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> another, another artist that, that brings that since, since we're on France is Metra Games. Oh, oh, his his discography. Oh my. Mm -hmm. So like we have we have the standard stuff. And by standard I mean like uh Metra Gim. Uh uh he has like uh uh Do You Love Me? Est-ce que tu m'aimes? Do you love me? Which is like sort of a, a pop it like bops. It's like do you love me, but it's very poppy. And then he has, uh, with Sia, he re-recorded a song called Je te pardon, I forgive you. And the music video, you kind of have to watch it to understand it. But obviously that'll go below. Man, this list is going to be long. Mm, uh, it's going to be a good list though. Indeed. Mm. And then he has uh, Bella, which is a, but he has this previous group called Section de Soul, which if you translate it directly, it, it's like sexual assault, which is, which is not what the band's about. but it's like it's it's how sexual assault's bad yeah yeah I, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, I, yeah if a band made a song arguing for sexual assault <laughs> yeah, yeah. i don't see them having yeah, 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 commercial yeah. success yeah yeah uh so so like this is old hip-hop <laughs> so this is the same time because metro games is i'm not gonna call him old but he's not young so like mm -hmm. this is this is like hip-hop era and then he's like maintained himself with the times and then he has bella which is a song a lot of his songs are named uh like in spanish and then he does them shoots them in spain to show that the cultural uh mingling of like spanish and french so he has bella which talks about a girl uh and then he has like it done inside of a, a ring with a matador and a, a bull mm -hmm. he, he obviously does not kill the bull because i don't think mm -hmm. uh many people would uh watch the music video if yeah. he did but it's like showing that this girl bella is which means beautiful in spanish Bell, yeah yeah um is he's literally calling her beautiful and it's like he's his fight against the bull to to sort of restrain himself from looking like a fool mm. because she has another man but then eventually uh if he if he's the one he can defend himself yeah so like it goes like that and then yeah like metal game uh jumps a lot uh through it as well as Stromae. Stromae again mm. going back to him with papa ute Mm -hmm. Is his father died in the Rwandan civil war or his father never came back. So his father left. And the song Papa Ute is like Verlon, which is the flipping of uh, letters and, and phrases to make it uh, slang. Mm -hmm. So you can say it shorter, but like Americans or like other speakers who don't speak French natively, it's difficult. So Papa Ute is literally Papa U et tu. So Papa Ute, like, where, where are you? And it's like the whole song is like, Father, where are you? You left me. Dang. Now I'm alone. Mm. And then, but it's like, it's like sort of has a dance feel to it. So people, like I often see Americans like playing it at parties, dancing to it. And, and I'm like, like, oh my, what are you doing? Yeah. It's like, but that's the satire yeah. that exists because he hates the music industry. He has his own out. He has his own like label, mm -hmm. right? That's he, really he did, good. He did all his music by himself. He has his own clothing brand. He donates money. He did his tour across America. And then there's this funny episode whenever he goes to like a uh, uh, motorcycle, uh, like bar, mm -hmm. bar for biker bar, mm -hmm. where he's like, he's like, hello, 
I'm Nostromay. And then he like lays down like a carpet, like like jumbles all of his instruments and like sets it up. And then he goes like, and then he starts like with a beat. Because he like makes all of his songs. He says, if I can't like get the groundwork for a song in five minutes, I throw it away. Really? So he like so he like goes in there. And then it's like his tour across America where he just like has one camera guy and then these acapella group that he brought with him. And then he's just like performing in random places. Because like he's massively popular among like some young people in America. Mm-hmm. So like the fact that he doesn't care about making money, he just sets up shop in places where no one knows who he is. So like he'll go to like Wisconsin where no one listens to him. And then he like set up. So he's like in this biker bar. And then this is a brilliance of his music's permeability. So you see these people and then like he starts singing. And then like you can see like people like start dancing, guys who are playing pool like start and they go like, I like this. Mm-hmm. And it's like the kind of people who would be listening to bluegrass music mm-hmm. can feel his music as well. And then he, there's a song, Ame Cesaria, which mm-hmm. is a Spanish song. It's like, you you guys have heard of Ame Maria, Ave Maria? Yes. Yeah, like the uh, um, Catholic uh, Italian um, song that's often sang in mass. Mm-hmm. Like we have something similar with um, Ave Cesaria, where he's like on the back of this truck, like this, this like the truck with the wooden rails, where he's like there, and then he has the um, the acapella group behind him, and he has this tiny keyboard just playing, and then he's like, oh, oh, and then he starts speaking French. He's like, oh, we're getting pulled over by the cops, <laughs> and then they're like, yo, what are you doing? You can't do this. And he goes like, oh, I didn't know. My bad. And he goes like, can I play you a song? And they're like, yeah. Just don't move the truck. And then he like plays for them. And then you see the cops like dancing to it. And it's like, okay, cool. <laughs> Dang. Yeah. Well. Well, that's that's it. Like we've we've crossed the whole country. We really beat that topic down. Yep. Indeed. I feel like that was around the world in a little bit more than 80 minutes. Yeah. That's yeah. good. Indeed. So we we have accomplished everything. Maybe next time. Once we meet um, extraterrestrials, we'll talk about their music. Maybe I'll have a guest on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, I, you know, maybe he'll come on. I don't know. I've never met him. Dang. Do you guys have any final words? Yeah. My final words would be just what I said towards the middle of the episode. Mm-hmm. When you approach music, have respect mm-hmm. for music. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Christian? Um, mine is going to be a bit broader. Um, just whenever you're going about your day, smile to someone on the sidewalk. Mm. Uh, you never know what someone is going through. And just that one act of random kindness could make their day. Mm. Indeed. Well, thank you both for coming on to the show. Thank you uh, for having me. It was a pleasure. It was fun. Absolutely. So this will definitely be the second part. Uh, a second episode to the one before it because this is almost three hours. So thank you for joining us again. This is In Defense of Humanity. Okay, so that's the end of the episode. Thank you for joining us. We don't know what we're going to talk about next time. There'll be another guest. Let's be honest. We come up with these topics before the show. So thank you. Goodbye. <laughs>